0: Welcome back to Misunderstood. This is your host, Rachel Yucatel. In 2014, our next guest was one of the top high school female swimmers in the country and was recruited to women's swim team at Harvard. After a gap year of self-exploration, Skylar Baylar came out as transgender. He's the first publicly documented NCAA Division I transgender man to compete in any sport. Skyler is an internationally celebrated inspirational speaker, author, and advocate for trans inclusion, radical body acceptance, and mental health awareness. He's here to educate us on the topic to help eradicate ignorance and hate. I'm so excited for this episode. I hope you guys sit back and really listen and have all your questions answered. Skylar, thank you so much for joining me. It's such an honor to have you here.
1: I'm really excited to be on your podcast uh, and I'm excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me, Rachel.
0: So... Basically, I mean, we talked a a little bit about this before, but I actually wanted people to hear this. I think it's important for my listeners and any listeners in general to know that like, it's okay if you're not educated in this topic. That's exactly why we're doing this conversation today. Um, I'm not somebody who is really educated in it besides what I read in the news and a lot of what you see on TikTok or on Instagram and social media. So it's so exciting to have you here because i think that education is the thing that can actually get rid of the hate and the misunderstanding and a lot of the ignorance is what scares people i think and i mean that's just my opinion and i think that it's really important for people to be able to make educated decisions based on facts instead of things that scare them and you are living proof that you know people are going through so many things that you don't know about and those things that they're going through are their choices. And it's for something that is for your mental health to get better for you to be happy. And it's, I almost feel like it's none of people's business to like put their own <laughs> emotions and feelings on that, but for them to really just understand it and let people like you or anyone that's going through something be able to have the freedom to be who they want to be. So anyways, I, I just wanted to say like I think this is a really interesting topic for even people that have no um, nothing close to them that even resembles this, but it's something that everyone should hear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that that you that you said, I think, is really important. You said you don't know a lot about this topic. This topic being trans people, uh, except for what you've read in the news or seen on TikTok, neither of which are usually rooted in people's humanity or even sometimes in in facts. Right. A lot of times, the news is very sensationalized. Sometimes it misses really important points. Um, and and a lot of times, right now, we're seeing a lot of really sensationalized propaganda about queer and trans people, especially trans people. So um, the fact that most of the country is learning from the news about who we are instead of directly from from us, right, I think is a really big problem. So that's one of the reasons I'm really grateful that you pulled me on this podcast today.
0: Yeah. So before we get into sort of the education of, of the topic, um, I want to hear from you about your story and how you got to where you are today. It's such an amazing story. So um, tell people like where you're from and what your childhood was like.
1: Okay, sure. Uh, So I grew up uh, right outside of Washington, DC. I was a very active uh, athletic kid. I was a very curious kid. Um, I was told, you know, the toddlers go through a stage of asking why all the time, why this, why that? Well, I really never left that stage. And my especially when I was a kid, I was very, very annoying, I would say, with that why. So I was a very curious kid. Um, I did a lot of sports, uh, lacrosse, football, soccer, basketball, and then I landed on swimming. Um, And swimming was something that I just always felt at home uh, doing, especially just being underwater. I loved the pool, and so that became a really big passion of mine. And I ended up getting pretty good at it. So a lot of my childhood, probably from six years old and onwards, was uh, consumed with being underwater, consumed with swimming. Um, I got good enough to get recruited in college by doing so, um, and and that that has you know a big part of my journey. I'm not sure if you want to dive if you want me to dive into specifics or if you want to ask me questions about I'll, that, I'll get that process. There, I'll ask you about okay. It. Yeah. just
0: before you get there what was it like um with you sort of mentally inside your head did you feel like how did you feel
1: mm. you know like i said i was i was really consumed with sports for a lot of my childhood but i think that i also was really alone and it was this interesting dichotomy because i think a lot of people who play sports have connections right because they're with a team and they're with a bunch of people and sometimes athletes are even considered cool so they have like social creds mm-hmm. swimming's not really one of those sports I don't think it's like a cool kid sport. <laughs> it's also very lonely right you're yeah. underwater in your own bubble yeah. most of the time. Um, so it was a very lonely kid and I was very I think you know I describe myself as athletic and curious and active. other people would have described me as nerdy and weird. I was incredibly um, invested in school and I also didn't care a whole lot about what other people thought. I dressed myself the way I felt comfortable, despite the fact that I was assigned female at birth. So everybody said you're a girl. Um, I never dressed like the other girls. So I dressed only in boys' clothes. I played boys lacrosse, boys baseball, boys soccer. And I was I struggled socially, right? I, I enjoyed being on those teams. I enjoyed playing the sports that I did, but I really struggled socially because people were mean to me. People would bully me, they'd bully me about my clothing.
0: Yeah. So I was gonna ask how people reacted to that. Was it kids your age? Was it Kids, you know, older. It was kids everybody. Parents. Yeah.
1: And yeah. You it understood was. understood
0: it or what was the what was the essence of the bullying? Yeah.
1: So my parents let me wear the clothes that I wanted to wear, which I think was was great. You know, they were they were lenient in that sense, and they were just like, I don't care what you wear. Wear the clothes that you want to wear that make you feel comfortable. So I wore boys' clothes, um, but at school I was bullied a lot because kids would be like, "Well, you're not a real girl. Why are you dressing that? Why why are you acting that way?" Bathrooms were really, really stressful. The girls would throw me out of the bathroom because they said I wasn't, you know, enough of a girl. Teachers would make comments about me, uh, my clothing, my hair, my my body, um, and you know, ridicule me for not being, you know, what they considered girl enough, quote unquote. Um, And then that happened in public too. So it happened, you know, at locker rooms. I don't know, at other sports teams, sports events. It happened at the airport. It was really stressful at the airport. And people at the airport would be, you know, grown women in the women's bathroom yelling at my mother because I was in the bathroom. Um, and, and my mother would have to defend and say, no, this is my daughter. Because at the time, I didn't have the language to explain who I was. I thought I was, you know, just a girl who liked boys' things.
0: Right. So... And I I apologize if this is an an inappropriate question, but I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between wanting to wear boy stuff and then the sexual identity of it. So, for example, like my daughter is ten now, but she's in fifth grade. When she was in fourth grade, the Department of Education in New York teaches sexuality now, and they teach about LGBTQ in general, and. Um, you know a lot of people have a problem with it because they don't think that children at that age should be learning about sexuality but so this is a two part question was it a mm-hmm. sexuality thing for you or was it just not feeling comfortable in your skin like what were you feeling
1: yeah it's not a sexuality thing at least for me it wasn't it was just about comfort with my gender itself i i didn't feel that i was I was the gender I was assigned. I didn't feel that I was a girl. Uh, I didn't identify with the other girls. I felt so much more comfortable being with the other boys, dressing myself like the other boys, um, just knowing that I was more aligned with the other boys. And, you know, it's it's interesting when I talk about it now, because I can give you all these sort of intellectualized thoughts about what was happening for me then. But at the time, I just knew that wearing a dress felt like the most horrible thing in the world. It felt like so far from who I was. Um, it felt like I was somehow betraying myself. And I just remember having a, like a, such a clear feeling that that being a girl the way everybody else expected me to be was wrong. Um, and to your note about sexuality and learning in schools, I mean, I think, you know, my school taught us about queer and, and trans people to a very small degree, not a much about trans people. This is also like you know, 20 years ago, yeah. um, we, we were learning about the fact that gay people existed. Um, and it, I think it's, you know, you said that a lot of people do have issues with teaching about sexuality in schools. Um, and I, I just want to make a couple quick notes. The first is that we don't actually have a problem talking about sexuality in schools unless it's about gay and and queer people, right? We talk about mom and dad, that is inherent sexuality. Um, we talk about, you know, somebody getting married. That's also in in in, you know, in, in reference to sexuality. So it's not a problem unless it's queer and trans and even when it's queer and trans the teaching about sexuality is just teaching that queer and trans people exist mm-hmm. right it's not about trying to sexualize children and i think that's an important note but
0: yeah absolutely yeah. um is there science that backs up when gender gender identity can actually start and kids can actually feel it or know it
1: yeah So, yes, major medical uh, organizations say that that gender actually solidifies around the age of three to five years old. So basically, as soon as a kid can talk right around the age that they're starting school, kindergarten-ish age, kids are able to declare their gender identity and they seem to have a solid form of their gender identity.
0: Amazing. Okay. So then go on with your story. You you obviously got to a point in high school where you were swimming. You were one of the best in the country enough so that you were being mm. recruited by schools. You were recruited by Harvard and decided to go there, right? That's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Go ahead. And and what were you going to say?
1: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say at the time, um, I was doing all the things everybody said that I was supposed to do. You know, I was doing the, um, good grades. I was doing the good athletic performance, but I was really, really miserable. And I had the reason, one of the primary reasons I was so miserable was when I started high school, I decided to throw away all of my boy stuff. Basically I was like, okay, I'm done being bullied. I'm done being thrown out of the bathrooms. I'm done feeling like I never belong anywhere. I want to feel like I belong somewhere. And it seems like this gender thing is the primary reason people don't think that I belong. Maybe if I become this woman, everybody says I'm supposed to be, then I'll be okay. Um, and so I did, I changed my clothes. I changed the way I looked. I changed my hair. I changed, um, how I presented myself to the world. I tried to like, I, I was so afraid people would find old pictures of me because I wanted to really be separate from this sort of boyish version of me in middle school. Um, and it got all the affirmation that I was looking for. Everybody's like, Oh my God, like you're so beautiful. You're so whatever you're finally, you know, you're the woman you're supposed to be. Um, but I was so miserable. And the closer I got to, to being this quote, ideal woman that everybody wanted me to be, the further I dove into mental illness specifically, uh, any sort of depression. I was really, struggling with my mental health at the time. Um, and it, it took a toll on me. It took a big toll on me, especially athletically, even though I was performing well, it was a really tough time in my life.
0: Were you able to let anybody close to you? Were you able to have any relationships with people, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever you chose to have
1: I did. Cause I, I came out as, as gay before I I made this time in high school. I didn't know that I was trans. So I came out as gay. I thought I knew I liked girls and I thought, okay, you know, maybe that's the thing that's different about me. Um, and so I'd come out as gay. I was dating a, a girl I liked at the time, um, but I was still so miserable, honestly, like it's, it's, it's hard to look back on that time. I was so disconnected with myself in so many ways. Um, And it. I think the fact that everything seemed to be going well for me almost made it worse because I had all these things. Everybody said that I was supposed to want, but I still was miserable. In fact, the more I think I focused on the, the successes, like the external successes, the farther I got from my own fulfillment.
0: And had you not, were you not aware of what a transgender was? Like, how come that didn't strike to you as like, maybe this is me?
1: That's a really good question that I wish I'd asked myself then, you know, um, quick note on language. So we we don't say a transgender, we'll say a transgender person just to make sure not to sort of like remove that humanity. So just a quick n- note on the words. Um, yeah. I didn't. I don't know. You know, I, I hadn't been aware of trans people. I think in the, to the depths that I, that I, well, definitely not to the, to how I know them now. Um, but I hadn't been presented with the concept that your gender identity could differ from what you were assigned at birth and have that be a real identity. I, I think I, I thought that people, um, I had been taught that, you know, there were people out there who got quote, sex changes. We don't call anything in terms of gender affirmation these days, sex changes anymore. But I thought that the people just sort of chose to do that. And that was that I didn't understand. It was this deep seated, um, incongruence of identity. And I think it took me a long time to really sit down, slow down and figure that out. Uh, and it didn't take until I went to actually treatment for my mental health issues until I figured that out.
0: Yeah. So talk about that. What was the point that you really realized and connected within yourself? Yeah. Um,
1: so I, I had been recruited to Harvard. Um, the the beginning of my senior year, I you know was committed to swim for Harvard. the the next year, I was all set and ready to go. Everything was lined up, um, but that year I just sort of dove deeper and deeper into my eating disorder uh, and depression. Um, and so when that year ended, my therapist said, "You really can't go to Harvard this fall. You have to figure out your mental health." At this point, I had no idea that I was trans. Still, I just knew I was miserable. Um, and so I did. I took a gap year between high school and college. I went to a residential treatment. Center, um and everything basically came to a stop. I wasn't allowed to swim. I wasn't allowed to exercise. I was in a different state uh, from my family and my friends. I had no school. there was nothing to distract me which was give a big
0: you did that give you anxiety or did that help mm,
1: you both. both. Uh, I think it was anxiety inducing and that everything was new. It was helpful because a lot of those things that I just named were ways that I was distracting from being able to see myself. You know, I think I had been, um, using athletics, using academics, using social interactions as a way of sort of numbing myself to who I really was because going towards that was so scary. Um, so at treatment, I was able to really dive into to myself, um, learn about who I was. I had a great therapist who honestly, the work that we did together was life lifesaving um, because she would really encourage me to think about who I am and ask me, what do I want in the world? Not, not, not what is successful. What does Skylar actually want? What does Skylar actually need? Um, and from there, I was able to realize that I'm transgender.
0: And I know you had a moment where you figured this out and were able to communicate this with your father. Tell us about that time.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was, it was like a couple, maybe it was like four or five months after three months after I realized that I'm trans, I was at a like a, a workshop, basically, there's a place in in Miami, Florida where I was going to treatment um, called the Yes Institute and they they teach about gender. And so I'd gone to a workshop on the advice of my therapist um, and I spent the whole day in tears. I like truly I was crying the whole day because I had met another trans person for the first time and at that moment it was undeniable that this was a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but but I will say that I was crying because I was scared. I was so afraid. I was like, what am I going to do with this identity? I have to tell people what am I going to do about swimming? What am I going to do about my friends? Am I going to lose everything? Right. I was really, really afraid. And I think um, that goes to earlier points that we were talking about, about just like how difficult sometimes it is to share these identities because of the amount of misunderstanding there is in the world. Um, And so I was really afraid. I wasn't like, woohoo, I figured it out. This is the thing. Right. Um, I I wish I had had that kind of elation because it really does explain a lot of my childhood, but instead I was afraid. My dad picked me up from that workshop and I, he like texted me, I'm here. I ran outside still in tears, sobbing. Um, and he just gave me a big hug and, um, he, we stood like that for, I don't know, maybe a minute, maybe 10. It's hard to tell when you're in that kind of emotion. Yeah. Um, and he eventually asked me what was wrong. And I said, through my tears, dad, I'm transgender and I'm, I'm so scared. Wow. And what did I
0: feel like to tell him finally?
1: Hmm. I don't remember. I just remember feeling scared. I I think, so I guess that's the only thing is I felt scared. I felt, um, I, I need, it was like bursting out of me. I had to tell him at that moment. I, I think I really, you were
0: scared. scared, I'm sorry to interrupt you that he wouldn't accept you that he wouldn't understand. Like, what was the fear with your dad?
1: I was less afraid about his reaction. Actually. I don't remember ever being specifically afraid of his reaction. I felt afraid of what I was going to do with my life. Got it. Um, and, and I, and I, it was just a whole task of, of what do I do with my life? I think I was fairly certain that I would meet him. He would meet me with love at, at the very least um, if not understanding, or at least trying to understand, because my dad and I've always had a really good relationship. Um, so I was less afraid of him. I was more afraid of like the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he met you with acceptance and love and seems like he always has sense. That's amazing, because I think a lot of people don't have that support,
1: absolutely. I feel very lucky to have his his response and his reaction. We have definitely had our bouts of fighting and screaming at each other and figuring things out. but um, but that that love has been a through line for for my whole life,
0: yeah, that's really amazing. So then talk about what happened when you went back to school. What was that like to then go back and you had this spot on the women's swim team? And, you know, what did you decide to do from there?
1: Yeah, so I didn't immediately go back to school actually. So when I told my dad, it was the summer of 2014, and I wouldn't start school till the the following August of 2015 because of my gap year. So I basically had another year to figure out what I was going to do with my identity and my sport and my life. <laughs> um, and so throughout that year, I, I I basically went back and forth. One week I was like, I'm going to swim. The next week I'd be like, I'm not going to swim. And it it probably was like that for about six months until the men's coach actually at Harvard said, Why don't you swim for me? He said, you could swim for the men's team. And I was like, oh my God, now what? (laughs) Uh, And that was an amazing proposition, right? A a very forward thinking, very progressive.
0: Yeah. That had never happened before, correct?
1: No, not in division one sports. No, it had never happened before to have a a transgender man compete on a men's sports team uh, in division one sports. It never happened before, but he said, let's do it and there was, there were the rules in place. And actually those rules had been in place for 10 years, okay. um, since 2000. Um, well now they've been in place for 10 years. I'm sorry. At the time, they've been in place for four years since, since okay. 2011. Um, and he said, yeah, why don't you swim for the men's team? If you identify as a man, you are here at Harvard. I coach the men's swim team at Harvard. No brainer. He literally was like that simple about it, which is again, very incredible.
0: Unheard of. And how did yes. the guys on the team feel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I'm told that For the most part, there was little pushback. There was a lot of, gosh, I've never seen this before, right? As you might expect, I think. Honest, right? They had never done this before. A lot of them had never heard of a trans person. I think people. I'm I'm told that people were nervous about what are we going to do about the locker rooms? Where is Skylar going to change? But most people, uh, my my coach Kevin told me this. Most people were mainly concerned about will Skylar be able to keep up? Right. Will he reduce our like athletic performance? Will he reduce our uh, you know competitive, um, I don't know efficacy, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and that kind of stuff. Um, right. So. Mostly though, it was this, I don't know, will he fit in kind of question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and what was it like to go back to school? Had you made any physical changes to yourself at that point?
1: Yeah. So I decided to get top surgery, um, which is a, a mastectomy, a masculinization of chest is chest reconstructive surgery, um, in March of 2015. And that was my first physical, well, first medical step. I had you know, gotten my haircut and changed my clothes and that kind of stuff. But, um, top surgery is the first medical step that I took. Um, life-saving. I, I woke up from surgery bawling with happiness because I finally felt like I was, I was more aligned with myself. Um, and, um Yeah. And that was a, that experience and as well as testosterone, actually I began before, uh, before I started on the men's team. Um, but it actually, I wanted to say, it took me a long time actually to decide to even swim for the men's team. And I think it, it, I didn't immediately accept the proposition. I actually said, no, the first thing I said was no, I can't swim for the men's team. I'm too scared. I feel too alone and i'm not ready to give up the success i've i've worked towards on the women's team. Right. um and i share that because a lot of people think that trans people transition in order to play sports but the reality is that sports can often pose a huge barrier to trans people and sports because mm-hmm. there's so much complexity to being a trans person in sports that most of us would contemplate quitting uh, our sport because we want to be able to be ourselves and not deal with sports before we would, you know, do a lot of other things. so um yeah. I actually said no, I wanted to stay on the women's team. I was going to delay my transition. I was going to delay my authenticity uh, because I was so um I was trying to be this woman that people wanted me to be still, even when I knew that I wasn't um, and it took me a lot of self-work to really let that go and say I need to take this leap of faith for me for my my happiness.
0: yeah, I mean that must have been a huge decision when you're used to winning being the best at something and then you know you may not be able to physically keep up uh, with these boys or whatever, these men, um, at the time. So what was it like during your first swim?
1: Yeah. Well, my first swim on the men's team was, was frightening to say the least, but I think it was a lot, um, um, what's the right word I'm looking for it was emboldening as well you know I, I I think that one of the things that people assume about me and about transgender men like me is that we can't possibly keep up with or or beat cis men and that's just not true mm-hmm. and I, I I actually spent a long time before I transitioned so when I was still competing in the women's category being better than a lot of the men on my team before I transitioned and oh, wow. that's actually one of the reasons that I was so good is I was able to beat a lot of the guys and we had we would have the these practices all the time where it was like, if, if, if me or my friend, um, one of my teammates, if, if one of us beat one of the guys in a race at the end of practice and the girls would get out early and the boys would have to keep doing the set. And that happened frequently, right? We would, we would beat them frequently. Um, so the belief that what I'm trying to highlight by the way, is the belief that anybody assigned female at birth, like me is automatically going to be worse than anybody assigned male at birth is not true right? We, we, we actually do need to train to be good at things. Yeah. Um, so I actually ended up being able to keep up with the guys. I scored points the first year. Um, I, in the end of my four years there, I ended up actually beating 87 and 85% of men in my, my two best events, the hundred breast, and hundred butterfly, um, in all of the NCAA. So, um, Cis men do not always beat trans men. Trans men are capable, actually, of of winning against cis men, which is pretty exciting.
0: That is so exciting. So this ended up being the first time people saw you swim, though, right? You never swam with the women's team because you took the gap year, correct? In
1: yeah, I'd never swam on the Harvard women's team. Yeah, I took so- the gap year and then just started Harvard uh, on the men's team and all four years on the men's team.
0: So what was that like? I mean, maybe this is a stupid question, but what was it yeah. like all of a sudden getting into a Speedo for the first time, <laughs> right? And then swimming with a bunch of guys. But like, was that empowering? Was it scary? You had a new body, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's all of the above. Um, <laughs> I, I think the the new body bit is like, I... Had I think my I don't know how to say this but the new body's not that's not inherently wrong necessarily but I think for me what it really felt like was it felt aligned right it felt more like yeah. my own actually mm-hmm. um and there were there was newness absolutely and that my 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 dynamics were different like truly my hydrodynamics were different because I didn't have as much you know fat on my chest to be quite honest with that that's a, it it changes the way your body sits in the water because of the way the fat floats and whatever so I definitely had some getting used to um to be done but I didn't wear a speedo the first day of practice. I actually wore what we call jammers. So those are the swimsuits that go from your knees to your hips, as opposed to just a tiny little triangle. I was too afraid to wear the the speedo actually for the first probably like month or so of practice on the men's team. I was the only guy um, wearing jammers. <laughs> um, and it, it was like, I can't remember what was the reason, but there was one day I was, I was at home um, in my dorm room, trying on the speedo over and over. like, I kept putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off. And I was like, I just got to do it. Like I have, to, i have to do it. i have to show up to practice in this and so the next day i did um and one of my friends on the team came over to me gave me a fist bump and he was like nice suit looks looks good um, uh, and that's that and then I've, i haven't really stopped wearing it since
0: yeah amazing and so you know what was it like at school did people know what was going on did they know this was a big deal for harvard and obviously a big deal for you i mean would people come and watch to see you
1: Mm. So people, my story was, um, shared in the crimson, which is the Harvard newsletter newspaper. Uh, and so there were a handful of people who paid attention and read it. <laughs> um, and so I would every once in a while, you know, have people come up to me and be like, Hey, I read about you in the newspaper. And, um, 99.9% of the response I got from people coming up to talk to me was positive. It was like, this is really cool. Or congrats. Or, you know, thanks for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Um, that was consistent through college for the most part. I think every once in a while there were, there were people probably that didn't vibe with me, but um, I didn't spend a lot of time with them.
0: So, yeah, that was my next question. Like, how did you then feel or people, how did people react to you after this? And was it so much better than when you were a child or was it similar? I mean, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you said you struggled with eating disorders. Did that Mm -hmm. get completely cured? Because now Mm you figured out, what the cause and the root may have been?
1: Um... I'll answer your question sort of in two parts. The first is that I would consider myself recovered from my eating disorder. I haven't engaged in eating disorder behavior since I left, well, since before I entered the treatment center actually. So the treatment itself was very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of work within eating disorder advocacy and, and recovery spaces. And I like to remind people that recovery from an eating disorder is absolutely possible. Um, and and I don't think it was only because I figured out that I was trans. Transness was a huge part of it because it helped me kind of put, put together the pieces about my childhood. Um, but it was also the work that I did in that treatment center about my childhood, about my relationship with my parents, about my relationship to food and, and control. And the there was a lot that was there, right? I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a perfectionist. So I had a lot of things to unpack, not just my transness. Um, you asked an interesting question though, was was my experience in college that you said similar to being a a kid when I was a kid and sort of the bullying experience? Um, yes and no. So in many ways it was different. I had, I've never been thrown out of a men's bathroom before in my life, which is a big statement. If I go to Florida, maybe that will be a different story. Um, but I had so much more peace in the men's bathrooms in college than I ever had had in the women's bathroom before. Um, a lot because I felt comfortable. I think I finally felt like I was in the bathroom that I was supposed to be in. Mostly, people gendered me correctly at school, and and I kind of got got around in my daily life academically, totally fine. Um, but there was still. Uh, difficulty, especially my first year on the team. Um, there were guys who didn't want me there. And um, a lot of the guys had been really great, like I said, but the freshmen, uh, I think, struggled the most because they were the, the newest, right? To to me, they were the newest to themselves as well, right? They're the youngest. So I think that we had some bumps there. I was misgendered um, by them, um, not specifically the freshmen, but some guys on the team. And, um, and that was really hard. It was really hard because it, it actually felt more difficult than elsewhere because we were on a men's team. So being misgendered, being called a girl on the men's team felt even more like I didn't belong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it was difficult for me to figure out how to navigate that. I think especially alone, I didn't have a whole lot of people to look up to. I didn't have somebody I can call and be like, hey, I know you've gone through this. Help me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even really know any other trans people for the most part, especially not in sports at school. So I I often navigated things by myself, even though I had the support from my coaches. it, It wasn't the same as having somebody who could be a role model for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, now that we're at this point, we've kind of gotten through this story. I think it's, I want to ask a lot of questions about the education. of Sure. You then became someone who, you know, educates people, um, brings light to things. You, you, you know, are a huge, huge um, person on social media. Your Instagram is so informative and interesting. And the way you kind of do those clips are fantastic, frankly. I mean, for lack of a better word, (laughs) they really are because- uh, and I think people should go to your Instagram. What is your Instagram? Tell people. Pink,
1: pink manta ray, pink, like the color of manta ray, like the animal.
0: Yeah. Um, does that mean something special to you, by the way?
1: Um, I have a tattoo that says, I believe in pink uh, on my wrist is actually an Audrey Hepburn quote. Um, and it's sort of like, I think it's like believing in fairy tales and, and childhood and sort of the wonderment of childhood. And when I was 18, I got this tattoo as a reminder to not become jaded towards life. I saw so many adults sort of like, I feel like they get, they just get jaded with life. And I, I didn't want to be an adult that did that. I wanted to always be in love with life. Um, and so it was a reminder of that. And then manta rays are just my favorite animal.
0: I love that. Okay. So, um, but okay. So we were talking about athletics in general for a second. Let's just stick Mm -hmm. with that for a second. So the world athletics band bans trans women from female events, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's still correct. What are your thoughts on that? And then Well, take me into that first. What are your thoughts on that? Sure.
1: Yeah. So World Athletics actually followed World Aquatics, which is formerly known as FINA. Um, And both these bands are are pretty much the same with slight differences uh, that says that if you haven't transitioned before the age of 12, um, before Tanner stage two of puberty, which is when hormones begin to to be released in one's body during puberty, uh, typically um, if you haven't transitioned before, then you cannot compete in the women's category. So we see this as a category categorical ban uh, because it's very difficult for anybody to transition before that age for many different reasons, primarily because in this United States, we are seeing multiple states banning transition before 18, right? So it's sort of a lose-lose, impossible situation. Um, And even in states that do allow uh, kids to transition and and allow puberty blockers and such before um, the age of 18, usually don't do so before Tanner stage two of puberty. So it's, it's really impossible. It is a categorical ban, um, world athletics ban on trans women, um, so that's that's one response is just that that it I think it's really horrible. I think it's really discriminatory. Um, it also assumes advantage. Um, and the IOC, which is the international Olympic committee, when they updated their rules a year and a half ago, they said, we can't actually have presumption of advantage. You need to actually prove the advantage. You need to have an evidence-based approach, which when, when I say that I'm like, of course we need an evidence-based approach. Why would we ever not have an evidence-based approach? But, um, well, we have, you know, numerous organizing bodies like world athletics, like world aquatics, um, not actually proposing things with, with real um, science behind them. They're just saying categorically, no trans women.
0: But like, aren't they making a lot of a a big deal in these bills that they're trying to get passed or having been passed about, Mm -hmm. you know, people are screaming about, oh, let's not cut off our kids' genitals, you know, such an early age. And uh, talk about that. Like, that's not what what it's all about <laughs> is it right no
1: no no absolutely i'm really glad you brought this up so there is a common narrative of like i don't want my kids genitals cut off at you know at, at their when they're a toddler stop cutting off the genitals of toddlers um people are not doing that no toddlers are having their genitals cut off except for intersex children uh, and that's not done with their consent so let me get to that in a second but with trans children for for transgender children let's say we've got a six-year-old who says hey i'm transgender no genital surgery is happening. Zero. At six years old, actually no surgery, no medical interventions are happening at all. The only thing that happens is the affirmation of name, pronouns, maybe a hairstyle change, maybe some clothing changes. That's it. And no medical changes will even begin to be conceptualized until the kid is around nine or 10 when puberty blockers might become a conversation not an intervention yet but just a conversation and then around age you know 11 or 12 then maybe there will be puberty blockers again if they're allowed and then after that around 13 14 15 then cross hormones might be administered cross hormones being the hormone that wouldn't natally be uh, be introduced into the body so for me as somebody who was assigned female at birth cross hormones would be testosterone for somebody assigned male at birth cross hormones would be a form of estrogen um, but there's no surgery note have I have not said surgery at all <laughs> so right. nobody is 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 cutting off genitals of toddlers. And for the, for, for you know, the extent of my knowledge, nobody's really cutting off the genitals of any minor in order for any minor to get any kind of gender affirmation surgery, which is almost always chest surgery, by the way, not genital, but any, any type of surgery, they have to go through extensive medical board reviews, ethical board reviews, have parental consent, and usually have to have been presenting in there from gender for, you know, decade, a decade, you know, right. um, since they were like five. Right. <laughs> so this isn't, happening. We are not just doling out gender affirming surgeries to toddlers. Um, they're very intense processes to have, you know, 15 or 16 year olds maybe get surgery.
0: Right. So, um, talk about puberty blockers. Like you just said, are they safe? Is it like, what does that mean? Cause I think that's been such a big conversation yeah. in people that are talking about, um, people who are assigned, uh, female at birth, no, male mm-hmm. at birth, excuse me, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. become female and then want to compete. For example, they are in an mm-hmm. uproar because they think it's completely unfair, mm-hmm. um, which almost seems like more of a conversation than somebody like you um, mm-hmm. that was assigned female and then became mm-hmm. male. And mm-hmm. that doesn't seem as like threatening to people in sports, right? So sure, what does sure. it have to do with the puberty, the stage when puberty happens that they're talking um...
1: They they say that it does, but does it not? Not exactly, right? So they people do argue that for um, people assigned male at birth, and I I wouldn't say become, I would just say identify as, or you know how, you know our our girls, just instead of instead of the the concept that people necessarily change. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody assigned male at birth who might want to compete in the girls category, um, people are saying that some that a there's some sort of a presumed, and I, I mean presumed advantage when um, somebody has gone through what we call testosterone-driven puberty, or most people would call male puberty because of the effects of the hormones. I think what people are forgetting a number of things. One, in elite-level sports, you need to go through testosterone suppression in order to compete in the women's category. You can't just waltz into uh, the, the women's category as somebody who's assigned excuse me, assigned male at birth and say, here I am, you have to go through many checks like I mentioned before. And sometimes you're just not allowed to compete at all. But when we're talking about kids, people forget we're talking about children. We're talking about kids who just wanna play sports with their friends and investigating the bodies, the genitals of kids, which many states are proposing, right? Genital exams for children to play sports. That's so invasive, and that's so unnecessary for some kid to just play sports with their friends. If they get to an elite level, let the elite level you know, governing bodies deal with the regulations about fairness. But everybody's crying about fairness, and there's so many other barriers to women and girls' sports, especially girls' sports, by the way, mm-hmm. um, that have to do with fairness that have nothing to do with trans people. We've actually seen that in states with inclusive policies, more girls play sports, and that with exclusive policies, so policies that exclude transgender girls, we have a reduction of girls playing sports it's all girls.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what do you think the real fear is that people can't get over when talking about trans in sports?
1: I think there's a number of things. First, they're being lied to, right? And I think that's really, really key. People are being lied to. They think that trans women are dominating women's sports. And that's just, that's not not true. You couldn't name more than three people who are trans women who have won international or national competitions, I would bet. Mm -hmm. Um, There's about 20 of them total in the history of recorded sports, which is a massively small percentage of all women who ever won international national competitions. But most people can't name one, much less three people. So this concept of domination is, is one that's used to fear monger and push lies about trans people um, that just like I said, just aren't true. The next thing is people are afraid that men are going to pretend to be women in order to win women's sports. So like, what about, you know, fine, trans women are fine, but what about men who are going to pretend? This has never happened. You know, it's never happened. Trans women have been allowed in in women's sports um, for decades in the Olympics, decades in state sports, um, uh, over a decade in the NCAA and in college sports. And we've never seen that happen, this pretending concept. The other thing is that again you cannot just waltz into the women's sports category if you are assigned male birth and want to compete at the elite, elite levels you actually have to quote pretend if you if we want to go with this narrative you have to quote pretend for one to three years and this quote pretending includes also going through hormone suppression um in some sports you are still required to have genital surgery in order to compete so this whole pretending thing what man who's trying to boost his ego is going to do this in order like i just i, I can't see a world in which that would happen mm-hmm. um so that's another reason. Uh, and then the last reason is, is really the fear of, it's kind of similar to the second one, but is it's the fear of patriarchy. It's the fear of men who are going to abuse power to hurt women. And this is, we, we've seen this perpetrated against trans people in so many different arenas, specifically about sports and then also about bathrooms where people are saying, but men are going to hurt women. Well, if men who are going to hurt women are the problem, we should actually deal with those men and not punish trans women as a result.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you've corrected me a couple couple times cuz I I'm, I'm not really sure on what to say. What are the things you should never say to a trans person? You <laughs>
1: there? Yeah. Well, so the, the first one I I always hope is obvious to people but I'm going to say it anyways because some people will still ask me this we should never ask trans people about their medical history specifically about their surgeries specifically about their genitals so people will often be like well Skylar so I know you've gotten top surgery because maybe I've said it well they're like well have you gotten you know the other surgery um, and I as an educator will answer the question because I'm an educator that's what I do to, for work I am paid to do this work for the most part um, and so that's that's what I do but most people actually regardless of whether or not they're trans don't like to talk about their genitals with random strangers and if you do not walk up to any other random stranger and ask them to tell you what their genitals look like you absolutely should not do that to trans people now if you go up to random strangers and ask them about their genitals then that is a you problem and you might need to do some priority reassessing
0: right okay um, that, that makes so a that's lot of the fun. first one okay <laughs> um what are some more that we should know about
1: yeah. Um The second one I would say is the assumption that being trans is a choice. A lot of people think that I've chosen to do this. That's one of the reasons that I edited the word of sort of like changed into, uh, you know, became male, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I again, I wasn't offended as you said that. I just wanted to to note a lot of us don't feel that we have chosen, right, to change gender necessarily, but rather that we're finding the language or the courage or the resources to affirm who we've always been. Mm -hmm. So as I as I explained about my childhood, I feel like I've always known this about myself. I just didn't have the words to be able to say it. And that distinction is really important in also reinforcing that who I am is not a choice. It's a choice to share it, right? It's a choice to affirm it. It's the choice to live uh, as the way that I am. Um, but it's not a choice to be transgender.
0: Yeah. And actually that brings up a good point. What would you say to parents who are dealing with children who are starting to talk like this or show that they Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable in their body? Like, How would you give advice to parents that are going through this?
1: I strongly encourage parents to give their kids space to explore. And exploration doesn't necessarily mean, because I know a lot of people are afraid of this, taking them to the doctor immediately, being like, we need surgery, we need hormones. That actually is, is not what I would recommend. The first thing you need to do is say, hey, what do you need? What would make you feel more comfortable? How can we make more space for you to explore who you are? You want to go by a different name? You want to go by different pronouns? You want to wear different clothes? Okay, right? Those None of those things are, quote, irreversible changes that everybody is afraid of. It's just allowing the kids to explore. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is is introducing kids to people like them, right? Let them have access to other trans and queer people so that they can see themselves. I have felt so alone my whole life because I didn't have other people like me to look to, not necessarily for fault because of my parents not, not being able to connect me, just because the conversation wasn't happening. 20 yeah. years ago in the way that it is now but now there are those resources so connect your kids with people if they tu- if it turns out that they're not trans that's fine then they've learned a little bit about themselves they have learned intentionality about their gender which most people who aren't trans don't do right most people who aren't trans don't ask themselves why am i a woman why am i a man and those can be really really illuminating endeavors to ask yourself
0: yeah yeah um what tell us a little bit about what's going on with the government getting involved in whether or not trans people should be considered people that are deserving of healthcare and things (laughs) like this. Like, can we talk about that a little bit from your perspective?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think you said it perfectly, Rachel. I mean, it is the government getting involved in, in body autonomy. It's it's the government trying to dictate who is allowed to have body autonomy and, and who isn't. Um, and this is bigger than trans people, by the way, right? We saw the Dobbs decision with the removing of body autonomy for anybody who can get pregnant, largely cisgender women, right? And I, I think that that was a big wake-up call for a lot of the people in this country who weren't paying attention to the attacks on trans rights, mm-hmm. um, but were paying attention once Dobbs was, was, uh, was released. Um, I think that the government has no place saying that they know more about medicine than than doctors do I think that's a really central point that I want to make is that be having a law degree right maybe you're a lawyer uh, uh, being able to be a representative or a senator or or even a governor that doesn't actually give you inherently any medical degrees medical doctorates medical licenses even any medical education and yet we have these lawmakers especially the governor of Florida and the governor of Texas who's who are saying that they know more about medicine um, than than doctors do and Every single major medical, psychological, and psychiatric association affirms that providing gender-affirming health care for trans people is not only appropriate, medically necessary, but also can be life mm-hmm. Um, And so I think that these bans on gender-affirming care for youth and even for adults, because we're seeing it on adults as well, um, are inhumane. I think they are discriminatory. I think they are wrong. I think they're absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they're a, an abuse of power.
0: Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who are not trans and don't obviously understand a lot about this and basically can be as simple as straight people, right? But they want to support you. They want to know more. Like, how would you educate these kind of people into, you know, helping with this?
1: Yeah, trends? it's a good Good question. I mean, I think that the first thing is I I want to pl- I'll do a little shameless self-plug. I've written a book, actually. It's called He She They: How We Talk About Gender and Why It Matters, and that's a great place to start. I think that a lot of times again people are learning about trans people from the news, and they're not learning directly from trans people, and I think it's so important, especially when this is an issue rooted in humanity uh, that has been so polarized and politicized, I think it's important to learn from us. And so I, you know, I work with hundreds of, of trans people uh, um, I'm a trans person myself, and I've poured all of that into a book to really teach anybody, especially the people who have no contact with transists who don't understand at all, the, the language, the humanity, the story. And it's it's done through my narrative as well to make sure that people are situated in in humanity. Um, so buy my book is a, yeah. is a way to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, I think one of the things that... Um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this best, but I think you actually said it at the beginning where people don't always know all the language and they're afraid of engaging in the conversation because they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to be canceled. They don't want to offend. Mm -hmm. And all of those are actually really good intentions. And I think we should still step into this anyways, because it's not actually just about trans people. As I named, this is we're seeing attacks alongside the hundreds of anti-trans bills. We're also seeing attacks on abortion, which again, largely affects cisgender women. We're also seeing attacks on, on voting rights, which is uh, disproportionately affects black and Brown people. Um, we're seeing rising rates of, of violence against, uh, indigenous women. So this is, this is about a lot of different kinds of people. We're also, by the way, because cis white men. So, um, Men who are not transgender, who are also white, actually have purport the highest rates of suicide, um, especially middle-aged white men, highest rate of suicide in the country. Uh, why am I bringing that up? Men's mental health is lower than it has ever been before. Men have like six times less friends than they ever have. And if you have less friends, you're more likely to, to commit suicide as well. Um, the whole country is in jeopardy right now. And I think every single group, including the, the quote, dominant groups like white men, um, are suffering, are in pain because people are not actually paying attention to their own humanity and they're then dismissing the humanity of other people. So I think it's actually really key. And this is what I try to explain to people in a myriad of different ways that all of the stuff I talk about with regards to trans liberation actually affects everybody because everybody has an experience with gender and everybody can step into that experience and either be liberated or they can put themselves in a cage with gender.
0: Right, right. Um, what are your thoughts on people who are, let's say, older or really set in their ways and their thoughts are just so wrong? You know what I mean? Like the, You hear about mm. these white, old people that just are so scared of new things, new ideas, and they're almost like, oh, my God, I won't go around a trans person or a gay person because I'll catch it or someone will You know, just <laughs> stupid things like that. Like, what would you say yeah. about that?
1: Um, well, I do want to say that you cannot catch being trans or or gay, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes that doesn't persuade people. So when it doesn't, what I what I usually try to tell people is actually you've probably been next to queer and trans people before and been fine. You've survived because there's a lot more of us out there than you probably think. So one is just data by telling them you actually have been around us and you've been fine. I mean, if I'm talking to them, then they're around me and they're, they're fine. (laughs) Um, But I think, so age is often used as an excuse or sometimes an explanation, but most often an excuse as to why somebody won't shift. And I actually, my grandparents are almost 90 and they are the most supportive people of me in the world. And by the way, they're also Catholic. They're also immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, They also, I think, tend to be more conservative than, 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 I don't know, the average person. And so all of that to me is like if they can do that right Mm -hmm. korean catholic immigrants um i think anybody can anybody will Mm, no, right? Not everybody will, but we can. And I think um, I think that that's a, a reminder. I think people can use age as a reason not to adjust, but they can also use it. And this is what I encourage people to do um, as a reason to be like, why is any of this actually important? Actually, the only thing that's important is human connectedness and love because it's the only thing I can actually leave behind. Right. And and so sometimes I try to have people remember that too. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. Sometimes we we have to let people be stuck in their ways and we have to move on without them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess succinctly, what would you say is the most misunderstood thing about trans queer people that you want to, you know, put out there?
1: Trans people are largely misunderstood as some kind of threat and trans people and transness are not a threat. Transphobia, bigotry, racism, patriarchy, those are threats. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And what can like people do to learn more besides reading your book? Like how can they get educated? How can they get involved?
1: If you are reading about trans people on the news, then you also can access Trans people's Instagrams. Um, you can access trans people's TikToks. You can access trans people's Twitter accounts. So listen to us, right? If you're going to actually learn about us from online sources, then learn about us from directly from us. Uh, I think it's a really easy way to do it. Instead of reading an article about trans people online, read uh, an Instagram post from somebody who's trans. Um, there's a lot of us online. There's lots of us to follow. If you go to my website, pinkmanray.com slash follow, there's a whole list of people I recommend following, but you can also just, you know, look it up on your own.
0: And Pride Month is coming up here. I mean, there's all sorts of ways for people to get involved and see and learn. What are you doing for Pride Month? Anything?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be um, in several different places. Uh, Provincetown, there's a there's a, a Men of Color weekend, which I'm really excited about uh, that I'm going to go to. But uh, I would encourage people, because I don't know where you're, where the, the audience is coming in from, I have actually workshops that anybody can come in from anywhere. Uh, I, have, I have three workshops that I'll be hosting um, in June, which I'm really excited about. It's Transactivism um, and You, which is about the anti-trans landscape legislatively and how we can respond to it. I've got TransAction, um, which is a workshop about daily allyship how can you understand how to be an ally on a sort of daily basis to trans people that's i think a really sort of like basic starting point point. Um, and lastly uh, i have actually got one about rainbow washing which is a bit of more of an advanced term but it's um it's about basically companies that will put rainbows on everything but not actually support trans and queer people and what that means
0: how are you feeling now in life
1: oof that's a great question <laughs> i don't know if it has a simple answer i mean. Overall, I'm very pleased with where I am in my life. I have a lovely partner. I have a puppy that's really cute. Um, I live in a, in a, in a home that I, that I love in a city that I like. Um, so in many ways, I feel very, very grateful and very lucky, but I also am living in this world with hundreds of anti-trans bills, trying to criminalize everything about myself. And so there's a conflict there. Um, but I, I guess the succinct way to say it is that I am very happy as who I am. I'm very grateful for my transition, for all of the gender affirming resources I've been able to access. Um, and transphobia still makes my life hard.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess my last question would really be for people that are really struggling still and are listening to this. Mm -hmm. Like, do you, it makes it seem like you are much happier at the life you have now and that you took that leap of faith and you believed in yourself. Would you recommend that for other people?
1: Absolutely. Without pause, I think that taking leaps of faith for ourselves, for our own happiness is um, almost always the best decision. I say almost because I think everybody has their own journeys and maybe for somebody it's not. But in my experience, um, I always have encouraged people to be themselves and um, try their best to find the way, the, the, the path forward that's going to create the most peace for them.
0: And uh, I wanted to bring up, you have a a really good platform besides your social media and your book. You have a podcast. Is it coming out? Is it out already?
1: Yes, I do have a podcast. It's out. It's called Dear Skylar. Um, And I talk to all kinds of incredible people with stories that are like mine, stories that are different from mine, um, that really try to to answer all the questions that I get asked as a transgender educator. So uh, that's another way for people to get in and and learn and listen and try to um, really hear from trans people uh, about our experiences because I have a lot of amazing trans folks folks that are on. I also have a lot of allies and people who don't really understand everything as well um, and who have have learned how to be allies to the trans and queer community. So um, yeah, really excited. I just launched it last month. It's called Dear Skylar and you can get it anywhere you get podcasts.
0: Yeah. And I've seen some clips on your Instagram. It's so good. The clip of you and thank your you. father was like really touching. It like brought me to tears. I think I saw oh, something so sort of apologizing for how they treated you at one point and still loving you now and accepting you like that was really interesting. And then you had um, Leah and what came out out of that?
1: Yeah, uh, Leah yeah, Leah Thomas is the first openly transgender uh, division one champion. So she swam for University of Pennsylvania. Um, if you have been hearing about trans women in sports, you've probably heard about Leah Thomas um, and she's a friend of mine. And, and so we sat down to just talk about her experience last year, um, her experience with the the hatred and the vitriol. I mean, there were thousands of media articles about her. There were protests. There was a lot going on. And, and she and I worked very closely together that year, um, navigating all of that with, you know, for her. Uh, And so we sat down to talk about it. Um, I think it's a really great episode. Leah has not shared her story from her own voice that frequently because of the amount of hatred and vitriol that there is out there. And so uh, I was very honored that Leah felt comfortable sitting down with me on Dear Skylar to talk about it.
0: Yeah. So people should all watch that. That episode is probably amazing. I'm going to go watch that myself. Um, I just want to say it's an honor to know you. I wish you the best. I think you're amazing. I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm so proud of you. It almost like brings me tears to like hear your story and and to meet you. So thank you so much. I hope everybody goes and, and checks out all your stuff and just remind people one more time what your Instagram is.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel, for all the kind words. My Instagram is pink manta ray, pink, like the color manta ray, like the animal.
0: Okay. Take care. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. Please be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a five-star rating and review if you like what you hear. You can support the show by joining our Patreon at patreon slash misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. Do you have ideas for the show or guests that you want us to reach out to? Please email us at infomisunderstoodpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you next time.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to keep that in there, I'm happy to, I haven't stopped my recording and I, I I think it's, people are so afraid to say the wrong thing and I would much rather they say the wrong thing and then deal with the consequences so that they can dive in instead of being hindered by being afraid. Right. Uh Um, I think what you named about being afraid is, is really common. I think it's, it's actually so common that that actually drives people to be hateful sometimes because it's something they don't understand. They don't have the access to resources. They don't know how to get through it. And yeah. so they just, it kind of corrodes into resentment and I've seen it happen. And I I've educated all over the country. I actually, after I graduated from college, I did a, a specific tour just in, in, in states that are classically red, cities that are classically red, trying to bring education to places that didn't previously have it. And people can't even define the word transgender. So how are we going to have these conversations? We can't even you know start with those words. And so we started there and that's okay. Right. At one point I didn't know how to define the word transgender. Now, what I want to say though about this is really important. I have a lot of privilege and that I have a lot of support. I have the education. I do this for work. I'm paid to do this. So there's space in my brain to deal with people saying the wrong thing, to deal with people having the wrong assumptions, to deal with things that could hurt. Not every trans person has that. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it just means that if you offend somebody accept the consequences of doing so right if you say something that's wrong and somebody's like ouch that hurt then say oh my gosh i'm sorry and move on right um i think that people are so afraid to make mistakes they won't make the mistake and then when they do and somebody gets mad they're like but you said i could make a mistake you can make a mistake and sometimes there's going to be a consequence for that and that's okay you can still keep in this fight
0: right But also what I think is interesting that people forget is that I think it's a universal feeling to feel not included, to feel misunderstood, to feel like you don't know what's missing in your life or what's different about you. And everyone is different. It might not be that they're trans. It might not be their sexuality, but whatever it is for them, I think that's a really universal feeling that anyone can understand and that people should be really open to because everyone, um, you know, we're all people. And I think people think yeah. that, you know, so I think that's important.
1: Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, you might not understand what it is like to be transgender, but you know what it's like to feel alone or lonely for a moment. You know yeah. what it's like to, to feel misunderstood, right? You know what it's like your old podcast is called misunderstood. And most people have felt misunderstood at some point in their lives. And trans people often feel misunderstood and, and for, you know, lots of really good reasons. And sometimes we need the space to be angry that we've been misunderstood just like anybody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, it was such a pleasure. Um, I hope we can stay in touch at some point when your book comes out. We'd love to hear from you again. It's in October, right? October
1: 17th. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, so yeah, any, I would love to chat about that as well. And, um,
0: I saw your post from the other day. So
1: thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all the kind words. It's really, um, it's lovely to meet you and and to have this conversation together.